Good morning. We are blessed uh, to be here this morning with beautiful, beautiful fall-like weather. This is possibly my favorite time of the year. I love this time of year, the coolness in the morning. It gets a little warmer as the day goes on. Beautiful, beautiful. And I do want to say thank you to so many of you uh, this morning uh, making comments on how uh, good my beard looks. You've been so uh, kind, saying that I should have grown it a long time ago. And I just want to thank you for all those. Nobody has said anything. <laughs> Nobody said that. But it would have been really cool if you said, man, that looks good. It looks as good as Widlord's. A whole lot more gray in it, though. Wiser, older. Thank you for your comments. That Remembering, that, that, is, that, was, uh, that was excellent this morning. Our title this morning is Bring Your Best. Bring Your Best. That has been God's invitation from the beginning of time. And that has been man's shortcoming from the very beginning of time. You remember the very first sacrifices that were ever offered, Cain and Abel brought sacrifices. One was acceptable, the other was not. I mean, just the word sacrifice, even itself, conjures up the giving up of something of value. True sacrifice involves giving up something that's precious, something that really costs the giver. As Justin just read um, in our reading this morning, we, we don't have time to really set up everything that that chapter is talking about, but David was going to make sacrifices to God. He had, he had taken a census um, out of either pride or his ego, and God brought a, a plague upon Israel. 70,000 are, are killed. God is grieved because of all of this death and destruction. He, he, he stops the angel there at uh, the threshing floor of Arana. And as was read to us just a moment ago, David is going to prepare a sacrifice. He's going to offer to God a sacrifice um, because God had, had sent this plague and he was praying to God to stop, uh, stop the killing. And as was read to us, it says, the king, King David, he replied to Arana, I insist on paying you. Arana was going to give him his threshing floor, everything he needed to make the sacrifice to his God. But he says, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for him. It wasn't so much that the sacrifice had to cost a lot, but it was more that it cost you something. That's why Jesus uh, was so impressed with the smallest gift that that widow lady made, Luke chapter 21, when she dropped in those two small coins. Everybody there had given way more than she had given financially, a whole lot more. But 
Jesus was impressed with her sacrifice, what it cost her, more than he was the gift itself. Everybody else had given way more than she, but Jesus was impressed because it cost her more to give than it cost the rest. Abraham had this kind of faith when he was called upon to offer Isaac in a sacrifice to God. This was a sacrifice that cost Abraham more than money, uh, more than wealth. It was his own flesh and blood, his very own son of promise. Does Abraham love God enough to sacrifice his son? Yes. Yes, he does. You see, God had commanded that when a person brought a sacrifice, it had to be the best, the best of the herd, um, without spot or without blemish. It had to be the first fruits of their crops. It wouldn't do for a, for a shepherd to go through and, and search his herd for a, a weak, a crippled, a blind animal to bring as a sacrifice, one that was sick. It wouldn't do. It had to be the best. Why? Why did it have to be the best? Because it was supposed to cost something. But it was also a way of inviting God to dinner. I want you to think about that. The sacrifice was a way of inviting God to dinner. You see, most of the sacrifices uh, were seen as a meal. The offerer would bring the animal to the priest. They would kill the animal. He, get, he gave the animal to the priest. The, the priest then would, would skin and butcher the animal. And the priest would keep part of that meat as uh, being one from the tribe of Levi. They had no uh, inheritance in the land. They were not given a portion of the land as the priest. So when the, when the people would bring the sacrifice, the priest would be allowed to take some of that to feed his own family. And that was his portion. So he would give that to the priest. He would take some of it, and then he would give the rest of the meat back to the worshiper, and he would burn the fat on the altar. Now, the worshiper would then take the meat home for his family to eat, or sometimes they would rent a banquet room there in the temple precincts where they would eat the meat and oftentimes invite family and friends to share that meal with them. The idea was that they were eating a meal with God. The sacrifice was called God's food five times in Leviticus chapter 21. Eating with God was a big deal. It was something that was longed for. Exodus chapter 24 Beginning in verse 9, it says, Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. It says, They saw God, and they ate and drank. That is of great significance. 
in the Middle East, to eat with someone was very, very symbolic. It meant that you were in a good relationship with them and that you accepted them, that you were in harmony with them. That's why the religious leaders got so upset with Jesus, because uh, it said that um, he was guilty of eating with sinners. And if, if Jesus was guilty of anything, it was that, was that he ate with sinners. Because you see, in their minds, eating a meal, sharing a meal with someone, sitting at the table with someone, meant that you were okay with them, that you accepted them, that you were in harmony with them. That's why the Lord's Supper is so significant. What we just got through partaking of. It's an expression that everyone who breaks the bread together is in harmony and accepting of one another. We break the bread with each other, but you know what? We also break the bread with Jesus. We're not just doing that here amongst ourselves, unless you didn't realize, and I know you do, but I want to remind you of this. When we gather around the table, we commune with each other, but we're breaking bread with Jesus. He is present. And what we're saying is that we're all in harmony with one another, that we love one another. We're in fellowship with one another. I love the, the passage in 1 Corinthians 11 um, we, we need to do more teaching on the Lord's Supper. So much uh, of what I think we, we have, have garnered from that passage is that we've got to examine ourselves to make sure we're worthy of taking the Lord's Supper. And I guarantee you, there's not a Sunday I come in here worthy of taking the Lord's Supper. We need to understand what that passage means. And that, that's, a, that's a sermon for another Sunday. Don't get me off on that. Um, and, and we'll do that. But, but what we do when, we, when we're gathering around the table is we're, we're saying that we're all in this together. We love one another. We're in harmony and fellowship. Back to the point. Sacrifices were an act of fellowship. You ate with God, which meant acceptance and harmony. And when you invited God to dinner, you, you don't offer God leftovers. You don't offer God second best. You offered the best that you had. Imagine inviting God, inviting Jesus to dinner, and you, you open the fridge, and you, you, know, you just pull out something, and yeah, that's good enough, you know. When you were a kid, did you ever open up um, a little tub of Cool Whip, just to, you know, just to get a little bit, and you open it up, and it's, and it's green beans. Your mom ever put green beans in Cool Whip? Anybody ever do that? You open it up, and there's a pile of boiled okra, and you, you had your spoon ready, you know, like. When you invite God to dinner, no, 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 no. You don't serve God leftovers. You don't give God second best. You don't give God that which you had three or four days ago and, and you're almost ready to throw out. You offered the best that you had. And you say, boy, I'm glad that we don't live in those Old Testament times, you know, offering sacrifices and all of that stuff, worrying about giving God our best. We don't have to do that today. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. Well, how can this be an example to us? We don't offer sacrifices today, right? Sure we do. Sure we do. Romans 12, we talked about this the last few weeks maybe. Romans 12, Paul is talking and he says, therefore, because of all of this stuff we've talked, all of the grace and the mercy, the righteousness that God gives us through his son, Jesus Christ, therefore, in view of God's mercy, he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And he said, this is your spiritual worship. This is your act of worship, your reasonable service to God to offer yourself. He, he says to offer your bodies. He doesn't say offer your money. He doesn't say offer your church attendance. He doesn't say offer your time. But he says offer your bodies. Matthew 16 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for a soul? Luke chapter 14 says it this way. Large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus demanded self-denial of his disciples, and he demanded that God be given first priority in their lives. That's what being a disciple means. That's how Jesus defined discipleship. And that's what offering ourselves means, denying, denying self and living for Jesus. Just like offering those animal sacrifices and bringing and giving the best, putting that on the altar of God. For example, take my wallet. You say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my wallet on the altar. I'm going to put my, my wallet on the altar of God. And God burns that offering up. Who does that wallet belong to now? It belongs to God. You say, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to offer up my time. I'm going to give my time. I'm going to put my time on the altar. And God's going to consume that sacrifice. Who does my time belong to now? Belongs to God. I need to take my body, my whole self, and I need to climb up on the altar and say, okay, God, you can have me. You can have all of me. Do with me whatever you want. Not my will, but yours be done. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did for us. 
in the garden, in the garden, he's saying, God, if there's any other way, if there is another way that we could bring this, this plan, this scheme of redemption to fruition, let's do it. But not my will be done, but yours. Jesus knew what was in the cup, and yet he drank the cup for you and for me. He provided a living and a powerful example, a life of sacrifice. And he did it for you. He did it for me. And now he asks us to give him the best, to give him the best of ourselves, the best of everything we have. And with that perspective, it is unthinkable to leave only leftovers for God. God is unimpressed. It's unthinkable to offer God leftover time, leftover money, a leftover thoughts. Malachi chapter 1 a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty. In this context, he speaks of how uh, the, the priests were offering him sheeps and goats that were sick, blind, leftovers, something that you were probably going to get rid of anyway. And he goes on to say in verse 8, when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord God Almighty? God, God says, you know, if you, tried to, if you tried to make an offering like that to your, to your governor, to your mayor, he would not accept that. It would, he would laugh at it. What good is this? And God says, that's what you're giving to me? If I'm your father, where's the respect? If I am God Almighty, where is the respect that is due me? When we attempt to give God only what is left after other interests have been served, we mock him and we treat him like he's just some entity to be ritually appeased. See, that, that's the way a lot of the, the foreign gods were viewed. This God is, is just a God that we have to sacrifice to so that we can appease him, so that maybe he'll send rain for our crops, or so that maybe our women will get pregnant and, and be fertile so that we can have, have babies and we can grow and multiply, or the sun would shine and, and make our plants grow. But that was their view of their God, was that he had to be appeased somehow by these sacrifices. And I think that's the way we treat God sometimes. We got to throw a little something on the altar to try to get, you know, what it is that we, we need out of God. And God is saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, 
if you want to be in that relationship with me as, as father and child, he says, I want you to give me everything. Sacrifice it all. And the beauty of that, when, there, there are times in my life when I, when I feel like I get that right and I'm, and I'm really giving God all that I have. It's amazing how God just turns around and, and keeps filling me up. He just keeps filling me up. It's like I can't outgive him. I, I give, he gives me back. And it's not always monetarily. You know, I, I'm not going to tell you if, you, if you'll sow a seed of $100, God will give you 1000 That's not the way it works. But I guarantee you, you cannot outgive him. He will give you everything you need. If you'll give him everything that you have, nothing left over. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. What are you offering to God this morning? Have you invited God over for leftovers? Or are you bringing your best? It's time for us all. It's time for us to crawl up on the altar and say, God, I'm through with me. I'm going to give you everything I got. All my money, all my time, all of my life. It all belongs to you. You get to decide where I go, how I spend my money, what I say, who I spend my time with. And if we'll do that, church, listen to me, if we will live lives that are surrendered to God, he will bless us beyond our wildest dream. He'll bless us. It could be financially. It may not be. But he will bless us in a way that we can't even dream if we'll just give him, give him everything. You know, what it boils down to is, do I trust God? Do I trust him? Will I take God at his word, believing that he will give me everything I need? The birds of the air have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man said he has no place to lay his head. But yet God cares for the birds. They don't reap, they don't sow, but guess what? God gives them everything they need. Do you have everything you need this morning? I do. I have way more, way more than I need. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God, and that is your reasonable service, your spiritual worship. What are you offering to God this morning? I hope it's your best. If it's not, let's just say, God, I'm sorry. I'm here this morning, and I want to do better. I want to give you the best I have. I want to give you everything. If you've never entered into that relationship, that father-child relationship, you can have that this morning because Christ has made a way through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You can be united with God by being buried and dying with Jesus this morning.